Genesis chapter 14, then also open to Hebrews chapter 7, put a marker back at Hebrews, we're going to be heading there in a little while. But let's remember what a leader is. Webster's 1828 Dictionary says to go before and show the way. It's to conduct as a chief or a commander. It's to draw. It's to lead people. And it's to exercise dominion. So that is what a leader is. But sometimes, you know, we have said this, that that this idea that a leader shows the way, he knows the way and shows the way. But sometimes when you're a leader, God calls you to do something that you've never done before. And we learned that from the life of Noah. Noah had never built an ark. He had never replenished or restarted the human race. He, can you imagine asking, being asked to do that? Then he had never rebuilt a civilization. And he'd never begun a human government. But God told him to do that. And he was able to do it through the power of God. So what are we going to learn from Melchizedek? Well, we're going to learn from Melchizedek how not to be a loser. Because what is a loser? The definition of a loser is a person or thing adversely affected by a situation or course of action. The idea is a leader plows through trouble. A loser is shaped and directed by his failures. Uh, An unsuccessful or unlucky person who seems destined to fail repeatedly. Destined to fail repeatedly. So the idea is that when you fail, you're supposed to learn from that failure and move on and not make those same mistakes again, right? A loser is a person who never learns from those mistakes and they just keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Then, this is my favorite part of the loser, a socially maladjusted person. Isn't that great? A socially maladjusted person. Okay, Melchizedek. Who was Melchizedek? Genesis chapter 14. We're going to start reading in verse 1. And I'm going to butcher all these names Uh, So just bear with me in them. All right. Genesis chapter 14 and verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Eleazar, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these men, or that these, made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. All these were joined together in the vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. Now look at verse 4. Twelve years they served Chedorlaomer. Now are you ready for the bad joke of the day? He was the big cheese. Yeah, all right. That was for Josh Ferrier. Twelve years they served Chedorlaomer. Now look at this, law of first mention. And in the thirteenth year they rebelled. Thirteen is the number of rebellion. First time you see the number thirteen in the Bible, it has to do with rebellion. In the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with him and smote the Rephaims and in Ashtaroth. Now if you'll remember that from our Genesis 6 study, just make a note in your mind on that. We're not going to talk about it today, but you might want to remember that. In Ashtaroth, uh, Karnaim and the Zuzims in Ham and Emims in Sheva, uh, Kirathaim. You sound so educated when you read these things. And the Horites in their Mount Seir and El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Now look at what it says here in verse 7. And they returned and came to En Mishpat, which is Kadesh. 
and smote all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazion Tamar. And there went out of the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the king of Adma and the king of Zeboim and the king of Bela, the same as Zoar. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim. Now, what I want you to see here, we're just reading through all these names because I want you to know what's going on. This is the first world war. This is the first world war. You're always going to have war. The, the Bible says that in the end times there shall be wars and rumors of wars. But every time there's a war, somebody thinks that the Lord's returning right then. Well, there's always going to be war until the Prince of Peace comes. Amen? Now, there's going to be a false peace that comes through the Antichrist, but there's, there's always going to be war. So now, let's go on. Uh, verse 9, with Chedorlaomer, the king of Elam, and with Tidal, the king of nations, and Amraphel, the king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Eli, uh, Elasar, four kings with five. And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Ishkol, uh, the, and brother of Aner, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them to Dan, unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobath, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. Okay, so here's what's happening. All these kings and these nations come and attack Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy them, wipe them out. And so then Abram hears about it. Abraham and his nephew Lot was taken and all of his things. And so what does he do? He gathers up his fighting men. 318 of them trained in his own house. So now here we have 318 men against at least five kingdoms. Can you imagine? And what does he do? Look at Hebrews chapter 7. Keep Genesis, of course. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from, what's it say here? The slaughter of the kings. The slaughter of the kings. Abraham, the friend of God, trained his own warriors. These must have been some bad dudes. I'm just telling you. And what did he do? He divided his 318 each to go after one of those other kings. So how many were these guys taking on? You know, I think of those movies, you know, Braveheart or whatever. Those guys just in the middle of all this carnage, throwing their swords around and going crazy. You know what I'd be doing? I'd be in the back making sure the ladies were taken care of. You know what I, mean? I, I just don't know that I would be brave enough to be in the middle of one of these fights. But these guys were unbelievable. Now, could we learn something about leadership from Abraham here? He must have been quite a man himself because he went right in the middle of them and went fighting. You know, we think of Father Abraham and the father of 
of the Hebrew race and things. He was a warrior, an amazing warrior. So he comes back from the slaughter of the kings. I love that title, from the slaughter of the kings. And so back in Genesis chapter 14, and look at verse 17. Abraham had some standards. So if you look at verse 16, And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. So Abraham won the battle, brought back all the stuff and the people. Verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, uh, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, look at verse 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. So he says, let me have the people in my kingdom, but all the stuff, go ahead and keep it. All right, look at verse 22. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. So he says, you know, I'm not going to speak for these other kings. Let them take what they want to. But king of Sodom, keep your stuff. Don't want it. Why? He didn't want anyone to think that he, the man of God, needed the world's stuff. Now, in your Bible, is Sodom a good place? No. No. I wonder what I would have done. I wonder if I would have, would have had the integrity to turn away the gifts of the wicked. Now, that's an important thing, isn't it? That is an important character trait of Abraham, but that's not what we're looking at today. We're looking at Melchizedek, this, this mysterious person that pops up. Look at what it says in verse 18. And Melchizedek... King of Salem brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. The priest of the Most High God. This is a really interesting thing because we're going to see in the book of Hebrews, there weren't any priests yet. So who is this? And look at the meal that he brings, bread and wine. Lord's Supper, right? But this is also the food that will be eaten in the kingdom. Remember what Jesus Christ said after the Passover? I'll not eat bread or drink wine again until I eat it with you in the kingdom. Melchizedek, a very interesting character. Look at something else that we see from him. Look at verse uh, 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham, or Abram, of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. So who's the possessor of heaven and earth? Not Abram, but the Most High God. It's all His. Amen? It is all His. Then look at what it says. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And He gave him tithes of all. Now here, that He gave him tithes of all, 
that might be a little ambiguous. We might wonder, did, did Melchizedek give tithes to Abraham? Or did Abraham give tithes to Melchizedek? Well, in Hebrews chapter 7, it's all cleared up. We understand that, that the, the Bible tells us, it'll clear, clear it up, that Abraham gave Melchizedek tithes. He was the priest. We learn in Hebrews that he was greater than Abraham. And Abraham was considered the wealthiest man in the world at that point. He was the greatest man in the world. And so here he is. He's overcome, or he is, has a superior that he bows down to, and the superior blesses him. Melchizedek. A Mel- Melchizedek. Interesting character. What else do we learn here? He says um, in verse 20 again, And blessed be the Most High God. Now that the Most High God, we know that because we know about the story of Jesus Christ being born in the manger. And that phrase, the Most High God, is used all through that. You know, the only other places it's used in your Bible are in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, you hear the Most High God. Why is he called the Most High God there? Because all of the gods of the world are rising up against him in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel gives us what's going to happen in our period of history. So it's interesting. This person, Melchizedek, spans the ages. And we're going to see that. Look at Psalm 110. Psalm 110. We've seen him in history. Let's look at him in prophecy. Psalm 110. In verse 4. Most people don't know that Psalms is a book of prophecy. There's more prophecy in the Psalms than in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combined. The Bible describes David as a prophet of God. So now look at Psalm 110 and look at verse 4. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. So this is just as sure as God is. It says, I, I have sworn this and I will not repent of it. Here's what God says. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what we're learning here in history, we learn that Melchizedek was a priest of God. He was also a king. He's called the king of Salem. He was a priest and king, and he had an order, a priesthood. And his priesthood would last forever. Jesus Christ would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So this is a prophecy. So we see Melchizedek in history. We see him in prophecy. Now, look at him as the priest again. Look in uh, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Melchizedek, who was he? Verse 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. So there's something really interesting that I want you to see here. That here was a priest before there were priests. Here was a man, Abraham, especially in Hebrews to the Jews, is considered the greatest of all men. But we learn that there's one that was greater than Abraham, and it's this Melchizedek. We're learning some important characteristics of this man, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all. The other thing that I want you to see here is that his tithe came before the law. So the tithe was before the law, it was during the law, and it was after the law. Why? 
because it's just what you give someone that's greater. When someone blesses you, you give them the tenth. Uh, Wycliffe, uh, Wycliffe, when he translated the Bible in the 1200s, he, this, this word, tenth, do you know what he translated it? Dimes. D-Y-M-E-S. Isn't that interesting? That's the tenth. It's just really, a, it's kind of a fun thing. So he gave the tithe. That's, what, that's worship. That's what you give to someone that's greater. Then, what else do we learn about Melchizedek? Look at who he is in verse 2. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. And, and just so you know, when I call him Abraham when I'm reading verse 14, that's what the writer of Hebrews does also. Okay, God changed his name later on, and that's what we know him as. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Now look at this. This is saying who he is. First, being by interpretation, king of righteousness. Where does that come from? Well, Melchizedek is not a name. It's a title. The, the, The first part of his name, Melech, that means king. And Sedek... That means righteousness. So his actual name, or this title, is King of Righteousness. That's what it means first. Now, remember what we've taught you. When you're reading your Bible, always look for time words, because they help you understand what's going on. Look at what it says in verse 2. First, is that a time word? All right, you might want to mark that. Being by interpretation, King of Righteousness. And after that also, King of Salem, which is King of Peace. Right, so what are we talking about here? He was the king of Salem. Salem is the place where Jerusalem is now, and Jerusalem is called the city of peace. So he is the king of peace, the king of Jerusalem. It's interesting, but it says, and after that, after that, why? How many of you, when you think of Jerusalem, think of peace? We've just looked at it. It's a cup of trembling. The whole world is going to come to Jerusalem for a battle that will end all battles. That's why it's the city of peace. It'll become the city of peace when the king of peace comes and brings peace by destroying all war forevermore. It's an interesting thing. So Melchizedek is in his person a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to see that in this verse, verse 2, we see Jesus Christ first coming, the King of Righteousness. Jesus Christ at His first coming did not come to bring peace. He came to bring righteousness. Because we understand from the Word of God that without righteousness there is no peace. Look at, just, let's just look at some verses. James chapter 3. Just the next book over in your Bible. There we are. I was looking in chapter 2 and I couldn't find the verse from chapter 3. Look at chapter 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is... Is there a time word there? An order word? It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, 
and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. All right, so here's the idea. And, and this, is, this is true all through Scripture. You don't have peace until there's purity. We don't have peace with God until we're made pure through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to first bring righteousness, and then He can bring peace. Look at Romans fourteen seventeen. Romans 14 and verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So it's not a physical reality. It's spiritual. And it begins, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What comes first? Righteousness. Righteousness. And the thing we must learn is this righteousness is not our own. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I can't have peace until there's righteousness. But it's just like this. We know this in our practical life. How many of you have ever been doing something that you know you weren't supposed to do and you were in turmoil over it? And then when you're doing what you're supposed to do, all of a sudden you can just... uh, Because there's peace. That's what Melchizedek, in his name, in his title, in his behavior, in the priesthood that he established, he brought righteousness and then peace. Well, who does that sound like? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's roll on. A whole lot more information we could give on that, but let's go back to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to pull out a couple of things, and then we'll make our application and be done. Hebrews chapter 7. Some important things about this man. He is identified as establishing a priesthood. If you look at chapter 6 and verse 20, whether the forerunner is for us entered, that's Jesus, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We learn something about this order. When we get to verse 3, we see that talking about Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth priest continually. All right, so what in the world does that mean? Did Melchizedek live forever? Now, let me say this, maybe. Maybe, because there's, there's not figurative language in the text. It is possible that God had this man and had him live forever. Can God do that? Amen. Now, let me tell you what I, what I believe it is. We talked about this somewhat in our Sunday school class. Um, what I'm going to tell you now is, is what I believe about this verse. And it could be wrong, all right? I'm only right when I tell you exactly what the Bible says. That's when you can be sure. Here, I'm giving you speculation. I believe that this verse is speaking about the priesthood, the order that Melchizedek established that this priesthood would be an enduring priesthood that would last forever. Uh, if you look at verse 8, you know what? Let's just, read, let's just continue reading the text. That would be the easiest thing. Uh, look at verse 4. Now consider how great this man was. So we know he wasn't an angel or anything like that. He was a man. Unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. So here's where this becomes really important. To the Hebrews, and who is the book of Hebrews written to? 
Hebrews. That's, that's complicated stuff. All right? To the Hebrews, Abraham was the greatest. Now, here we're learning that there was someone greater than Abraham who gave tithes to the one that was greater than him. All right? Verse 5. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they came out of the loins of Abraham. So here's the idea, the Levitical priesthood. These Levites, they became a priest because their dad was a priest. It was a part of their lineage. Well, these came out of Abraham. Melchizedek existed before Abraham. He didn't come out of Abraham. So this is a different priesthood that is greater than the priesthood of Levi. All right, so let's read on. Verse 6, But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. So here, there's a tithe that goes to the priests, but there was a tithe that went to someone before the priests. That's what this is saying. All right, so now let's go on in verse 7. And without all contradiction, in other words, this can't be contradicted. This truth that I'm giving you cannot be contradicted. That's what the text says. And without all contradiction... The less is blessed of the better. So what is that saying? That's saying that Abraham is less than Melchizedek. Now, what, you know what this violates? This violates a couple of things. We're all equal. Boy, some people don't like that. No, there are people that are better than others. There are people that are more important in the work of God than others. According to this, what, what does the text say? Remember, we, we adjust our attitudes to the Scripture, not the Scripture to our attitudes. Look at what it says. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Very clear. Look at what the next verse says. And here, that would be the Levites, men that die receive tithes. But there, this is the order of Melchizedek, he receiveth them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. Now, who is the one that ever liveth to make intercession for the saints? Jesus Christ. So our gifts were given to the Levites, but now we need to understand that, it, that all of the gifts actually go to God. Now look at verse 9. And so I may so say, Levi also who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So in other words, he wasn't even born yet. Still hiding behind one of his mama's smiles, right? Verse 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Okay, so if the Levites could accomplish everything they needed to, why was there another priesthood needed? That's the question. The answer is given in verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now, i got to tell you, that right there, that is a vitally important verse for us to understand the Bible. The law changed after Jesus Christ came. The law changed we are no longer under the law. Now, you can choose to be under the law. If you choose to be under the law, then if you violate in one point, you're guilty of all. Or you can just come by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and He'll keep you. 
But you choose. I'm going to take the easy way. All right? Wasn't easy for Jesus, but it sure is easy for me. Then, verse 13. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. All right? That is, well, let's go on. This will explain it in the next verse. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of the tribe, or of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. There are no priests that come. Moses didn't ordain any priests out of Judah. That's where the king would come from, out of Judah. So how can there be a priest out of the line of Judah? It's a different kind of priest than the order of Melchizedek. Just as Melchizedek was a priest and a king, Jesus Christ is a priest and a king. You want to know something? Melchizedek's the only other one in the Bible other than Jesus Christ. He is the type of our precious Savior, who's the priest and the king. Just as a Baptist, one of our distinctives is the separation of church and state. The, the state has no business telling us what to preach in this pulpit. Amen? The state has no business telling you what to believe. And the church has no business telling the state to enforce their particular doctrines. You know that that's been God's plan all the way back from the beginning? A separate priesthood and governorship. Separate. That's God's plan. All right. Now, look at verse uh, 15. And it is yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Just, just like Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. What is this endless life? Well, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He endures forever. He lives forever and his priesthood endures forever, just like Melchizedek's priesthood would endure forever. All right. Verse 17. For he testifies. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, you might want to write right next to that. That's Psalm 110, verse 4. This is quoting God identifying Jesus Christ's priesthood. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Okay, so what does the Bible say here about the law? It's disannulled. The law of the Levites has been disannulled. Annulled. Now, we need to compare Scripture to Scripture. Jesus Christ said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Amen? But that was before the cross. After the cross, He fulfilled the law by His righteousness before the cross. After the law, because His sacrifice has been made, you don't have to make sacrifices anymore. All right? So now, look at what it says. Because, I love this, the law before, it was weak and it was unprofitable. It was weak and it was unprofitable. Okay, let's go on. So much to say about that. It's weak because it can't make you righteous. The law can forbid. It can't help. Amen? The law forbids. It can't help. And it's profitless. The law never gives life to anything. Practically, do you want to destroy business? Put a bunch of laws on it. It just destroys business. Put a bunch of laws on it. It'll destroy it. Laws don't make jobs. How many of you understand that? You put a bunch of restrictions on a company, they'll stop hiring people. 
and there, aren't no, there are no more jobs. You remove all that regulation, and you get jobs. You get creation. It's the same way with life. All right? That's what this is speaking of. All right, so let's go on. For the law, verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of the better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. It's all by grace. This better hope is what Jesus Christ did. Verse 20, and inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. All right? So sometimes the language, we start to get lost in it, but he's explaining what's going on. Those priests, the Levitical priests, they didn't get sworn into office. They were born into it. Jesus Christ became a priest because God swore an oath and said he would be one. There's a difference. We're looking at the differences in the priesthood. Now look at verse 22. By so much was Jesse made a surety of a better testament. Or I'm sorry. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. A surety. A guarantee of a better testament. What's the better testament? The New Testament. Salvation by grace through faith. Anybody here saved today? That's what we're learning about. Um, you know, I appreciate so many of you that are working hard to follow and pay attention. Some of you, are, you're bored to tears. If you'd open your Bible and look at it and learn something, you wouldn't be so bored. But that's between you and God. He knows where your heart is. Now let's look at this. It says, And they truly, verse 23, were many priests because they were not suffered or allowed to continue by reason of death. These guys died. They couldn't continue their priesthood. They died. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Look at the contrast between Jesus' priesthood and the Levitical priesthood. His priesthood is unchangeable. Look at verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, their priesthood was changeable. The Levitical priesthood, the Jewish priesthood. God's priesthood, the priesthood of Jesus Christ, can never be changed. It's unchangeable. Verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I want to talk about verse 25 for you for a minute. This verse is so important. He is able to save you to the uttermost. What does that mean? You can't do anything. You cannot do anything that Christ's priesthood can't overcome. You don't, you, you've not sinned bad enough. You've not sinned bad enough for him not to be able to save you. Amen? Praise God for that. Another thing I want you to learn from this, he's able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. What's the only way to be saved? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You come to God by Jesus Christ. If you do that, then that priesthood applies to you. If I try to behave like a priest and say, my father can beat your father at dominoes, and then say that you're forgiven your sins, well, you know what? I like what the old lady said in the, in the hospital bed. Priest came in. She was about to die. She said, uh, can, can I forgive you of any of your sins? Do you need forgiveness of sins? She said, let me see your hands. He held up his hands and she said, I don't see any nail prints. You can't forgive my sins. Amen. Amen. This, is the, this is the king. This is the priest that can forgive our sins. Then look at what it says. Why does Jesus live now? I was apprehensive to say this until I looked at the text. 
Why? What is Jesus living for? Look at what it says. Seeing, middle of verse 25, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know that Jesus Christ, you know what his, his purpose in life is right now? To make intercession for us. Go to him. He is there telling, when you, we, we don't have time to go there, but remember Romans chapter 8? The Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. He compares the, our, our mind to God's heart. Jesus Christ is there right now at the throne of God telling the Father exactly what you need. That's the kind of priest that we have. After the order of Melchizedek. Look at the next verse. For such an high priest became us. Think about that. Jesus Christ took on flesh and bones. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to see a difference between his priesthood and the priesthood of Aaron. Levitical priesthood. Let's start reading in verse uh, 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body... Hast thou prepared me? Remember, we talk about that as the day before Christmas. Jesus Christ had a body prepared for him. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Remember, not my will, but thy will. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He took away that old law and established that new covenant. Remember he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. This is the new testament in my blood, which is shed for you. All right, now look at what it says. Verse 10. By the which will... We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That sacrifice does not need to be made again every time there's communion. Amen? Once for all. And here's how we know it was done once for all. Look at what it says. Verse 11. And every priest standeth. Will you mark that word standeth? daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered, what does it say there? One sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. There's something you need to understand about the temple and the tabernacle. When you go into the holy place or the holy, there's no chairs there. They don't get to sit down. You want to know why? Because their work could never be done. They had to continually make the sacrifice, make the sacrifice, make the sacrifice. Cover the sin, cover the sin, cover the sin. For themselves and the others, cover the sin, cover the sin, cover the sin. Jesus Christ went in one time and then he sat down. Why? Because it's a different sacrifice. 
It's a different priesthood. It's an everlasting priesthood. And the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. Do you know what that means? If you have come to God by him, then you are kept forever. How many of you have ever wondered about being able to lose your salvation? Would you raise your hand? How many of you, you've, you've struggled with that at a period? Well, does Jesus Christ ever live to make intercession for the saints? If his priesthood endures forever, then you are safe because the Bible says that he is the surety. Jesus Christ is the guarantee of your eternal life. Not your good works, not your faithfulness, not your testimony. You are free to serve him. Amen? Well, what else can we learn about Melchizedek? What do we learn about leadership from him? Well, first of all, we should strive not to be remembered. What was the thing that the Jews exalted in the most? Their heritage. Their heritage. Melchizedek didn't have one. No descent. No father or mother. No record of his birth. No record of his death. You know what would be a great thing to put on your headstone? He was like Christ. <laughs> That's what a leader is. A leader wants to be only remembered for the ways that we are like Jesus. Number two. We should strive to bring righteousness and peace. He brought the righteousness and peace. He brought the bread and the wine. Do you know what you need to be able to bring to this world? If you're going to be a biblical leader, you need to be able to bring righteousness. How does righteousness come? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Then you can give them peace as you teach them all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. Then we should strive to leave a legacy that will last forever. Which priesthood are you a part of? Works and works and works and works. The law, the law, the law, the law. The law kills. The law is weak and profitless. Or are you involved in that kingdom that is not? The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what we learn about Melchizedek. Melchizedek wasn't interested in his own needs. He was interested in the needs of others. And do you know what he became? He became a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you think of a better way to be a leader than that? It's, do you know the Bible says something almost like that? Can we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we'll be done? 17. Therefore, if any man, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So we were reconciled, brought back to Christ, back to God by Christ. And then he told us to bring somebody else to God by Christ. Then look at what it says. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What are we supposed to do with it? Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. 
For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What are we supposed to do? Biblical leader after the order of Melchizedek, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to be pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ as ambassadors until he comes. You don't speak for yourself. Does an ambassador speak for himself? No, you speak for the king. You speak for the king. Those are the lessons from the leader whose office endures forever. Thank you, Lord, for your word.